All right, guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Now this took place in the swamps of Nayarit, Mexico, where we have hunted many times. And uh, and when I'd go down there, I would have uh, two hunts booked a month. Four, they're supposed to hunt 14 days, but lots of them never hunted anywhere near 14 days because when their when their trophies would be caught, well, they would be it's a hard country and they'd be willing to leave. So we had filled out the third party, I believe it was, for that season, and had a few days there to wait. So we would get out and get sign for. Jaguar to know where to take the next party for sure. And we would also take our boats in and run up and down those waterways there and run our dogs. And we'd do that often to keep them in condition. And those dogs would follow those boats just like they would a, a horse or, or a foot or anything else. So this afternoon, we'd have our dogs out and give them a good run and, and lots of swimming and going <clears throat> And of course, it's always warm down there. And we're relaxing in under a big fly there and, and talking. And this, this fellow from <clears throat> Muggions, New Mexico, come in. And I had heard that he was in that country somewhere. And, and I knew him, his name was Shorty Lines. And he was a, <clears throat> had been a, a hunter and a trapper for the state of New Mexico for the, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service that they call it now. And he had just retired, but still he was, could really get up and go and was in fine physical condition. And he come into camp, and I said, well, by golly, Shorty, I heard you was in this area. And then he told me where his camp was. My road is probably 50, 60 miles. Right straight through the swamps is probably 25, 20, 25 miles to where his camp was. And uh, he said, well, Dale, he said, I'm having a lot of trouble over there. And... uh now, I've got a problem. And he said, I want you to tell me what's wrong. I said, well, Shorty, how can I tell you what's wrong when you're over there and I'm over here? Well, he said, let me explain a few things to you. He said, right recently, in the last few days, I have run nine real fresh Jaguar tracks. And he said, those dogs obey them and we can hear them obeying them. 
but we never get to the jaguar or never get to our dogs. But, um, and I said, well, have you always found your dogs? Oh, yeah, we've always found them and, and, and got them all right. I said, um, are your dogs marked up? Are they hurt? Are they scratched up, mauled up by those jaguars? He said, well, no, they're not. I said, well, Shorty, then I can tell you one thing. And he said, what's that? I said, your dogs are so uh, scared of those jaguars that they're not getting up to them and making them stop. And those jaguars will not stop for very long at a time if your dogs don't find them. And I said, those ja these jaguars are dangerous to your dogs when they're being them on the ground because that they will mark them up and they will keep kill them a lot of the a lot of the time. So I can tell you one thing: you'd better go back to the United States and get you another pack of hounds if you're going to do any good jaguar hunting because you haven't got any. And he said, "Well, I just I'm glad to hear that because I didn't know what was wrong." I said, "Well, that's what's wrong. Your dogs haven't got the heart to press those jaguars." enough to make them stop. And he said, well, I know there's something wrong, so I guess that's it. And I know you know any more more about it than anybody I know of. And uh, that's the reason I've made that trip to come around here to talk to you. And that poor son of a gun stayed down there for about three months. And he never caught a Jaguar. And he was a trying all the time, but he, he did have a couple of pretty big trout and he caught one in a trap. And that's the only jaguar that he ever caught. He even made one trip and went into Venezuela, uh, South America on a trip after we had made that big catch down there and still he didn't have no luck. And uh, he he's uh, different to most of those hunters though. He didn't give us a black eye, the Lee brothers, and and run us down, which a lot of those hunters out there have done. And I know when they're doing that is just pure jealousy. Well he never he never that old boy never done that. And he said, Well I'll doggone sure take my hat off to you because he says I know you're gathering the Jaguars here when I can't do a thing. And uh, it, that fellow's still a, a, a going, and uh, and he's still a good friend of mine. Well, now I want to tell you, fellas, of training these big game dogs. Now, you want to be very careful on training them, that you don't take any, uh, hurt their spirit and their, and their, the heart or the, grit, whatever you want to call it, take any of it away from them because they need all the grit that the, a, a good, brave dog has got to produce, especially if you're running all three of these species of animals, the bear, the mountain lion, and the jaguar. But you've got to have dogs with lots more grit to run the jaguar and the bear than you do the lion. They, a dog doesn't have to have near as much grit to be a good lion dog as he does a good jaguar dog and a good bear dog. So you want to you want to keep that in mind. 
do not do anything to that dog that will take any of his grit or heart out of him. Because if you do, you're uh, injuring that dog for the business that you want him for. And when you take it out of him, that's something you can't put back in him. Well, Clown, this is when Clown and I was working for the government in the state of New Mexico as predatory animal hunters. And they had sent us into the, the, the Muggion Mountains. And that's a big, rough, rugged range. And so we had went to a ranch there and got them to help us move a camp up Shell Canyon. From this ranch, this camp is our, remember, was up there around 10 miles. And then we had a, we had a string of horses that we had taken from Arizona up there. So we didn't want to keep these horses right in a corral because we couldn't because we didn't have hay and we had lots of grain but no hay to feed them. So we camped above a drift fence. A drift fence is where they have a fence coming along to make the cattle run in certain areas. So we camped above this drift fence so we could hobble our horses on the grass and they couldn't go, they couldn't go that, that down country back towards home, which they would naturally do if they was going to range out. So uh, <clears throat> we'd come in there one, one day and didn't halfway get our camp up one afternoon. Well, the next morning we made a big circle and We'd, we'd circle to the, to the north, pretty high on the mountain. Then we cut back in lower down and circle back towards our, towards our camp. And when we were about, uh, oh, we, we wasn't over a half a mile from camp. And we thought that was a bad day. We hadn't found anything but some old sign. And we picked up the tracks of two lines together. Well, now this big male and this big female were together. And this female was in season. And that is used most of the time. That's the only time that, that these uh, male, grown males and females are together. Of course, there's an exception to every rule. You might find them. Together, I have a few times when that wasn't the case, but that was the case this time. Well, the, the, we were on the trail uh, going back to camp and we weren't, I imagine, between a half, a mile and a quarter of a mile from camp. And these lines see, had, had come from the opposite direction and they were laying up in some bluffs right there close, uh, Close to the trail that we came up, and of course, the tracks are fresh, and the dogs jumped them in just a little while, and uh, the uh, hounds split up and the tree both lines. Well, we had a couple of pups up at camp that was about seven months old, possibly eight, and they were out of that little brownie hound that was the greatest hound that the Slash Ranch ever owned, and they owned some good ones. And these pups were out of him and one of our females. So 
We called them Scout and Screamer. One of them was a big red colored hound and the other one was a red dick. And Scout was Fells and Screamer was mine. So I said, Fell, why don't, uh, why don't we leave these dogs here and let you stay with one bunch of them and, and uh, we'll kill one of these lions and then keep seven up the tree and let me go up to camp and get Scout and Screamer and show them our first line. Because they hadn't really been, they hadn't been out in, in line hunting. So we done that. Now these hounds were pretty well natural hounds. Now these pups barked at that line and it was the male we left up the tree. And he was a big line and after the, they had located that line and of course they could see him up in that tree and they treed good. So after they treed a while, now we kill that line and we <clears throat> well they chewed wool on that line good and showed lots of interest and I like to see that. So then we went on up to camp and got there pretty late and so we had to prepare those two the two lines and skin them and all and uh so the next day then was Saturday. So we were young bucks and we loved to go to dances and dance and all. And so down there ways from this ranch, it was our closest ranch. I was owned by a fellow by the name of Parks and he had some young cowboys there. And they were telling us about these, this mule creek over there where they had a big dance hall and lots and lots of gals had come. So we told them we'd be down there and go with them to that dance. So we hadn't got, really got our camp up. So the next that morning we were going to get her put up her tents and it was a looking like a storm. And we were working on that tent. Well, we had got our horses and fed them grain, but one of them was a little ways from camp and up on the hillside there and down below camp and then up on it, the hillside right close to the drift fence. And he hadn't had his grain. So we had even got our horses and it saddled them. And we're, we, we were going to take our hounds with us and leave our horses there at camp. But we were trying to get up this tent so we could put our stuff in it to keep it from getting soaked if it rained and it looked like it was going to storm. So we had our tent up pretty well and Clay was taking it down and he said, say, he said, uh, get on your horse and ride down there and lead old spider. That was the name of this little horse that hadn't eaten. Back up here and let's give him some grain so we can pull on to that ranch. And so there was Scout and Screamer and a couple more pups was a loose running around there and one old hound that we were really working for an old rancher over there by the name of Hooker that we had been camped at his ranch and he had a few hounds and this old dog was pretty good well, I'll say old dog I don't imagine he was over five years old but he didn't give us any trouble and uh, and was a pretty good dog he was a loose and he wouldn't leave camp 
So Carol says, go down there and get spiders. So I jumped on my horse and run down there. And this old dog of uh, Mr. Hooker's picked up a line track. Well, good gracious, it was right there at camp. And he's barking on it, and I jumped off in a little canyon there and found this line track, and it was another big old male. And he was a going, he is going north, the way we'd circled the day before, and he's coming from the same direction that those other two lines had that we'd caught the day before, the evening before. So I hurried back up there and hung a nose bag that we call a morale with feet on it on old, old spider. And Carol says, what is that dog doing down there? I said, listen, Carol, there was a, a line passed right by our camp here last night. And I said, I know it was the last night track. And this dog picked it up. And I seen the track and I seen it good. And it's a going north. He said, well, by glory. He said, come on, help me finish this tent right quick and let's go see if we can catch him. So we did. So I said, Cal, we don't want to take all of these dogs. We had a several there. So he said, well, come on, let's, the ones we're going to leave tied here, let's be sure they're in good shade and water. And, and uh, we'll feed them before we leave, in case we don't get back tonight. And uh, we'll be sure and tie up their cans and water them and all good. So we did, just fast as we could then, because we really did move around because we wanted to get started. So we took a pack down there, five or six, and put them on that line track. And boy, he was going right on north. And after about five or six hours, well, they jumped him and treated him. So we just killed that lion and took him on one of our, our horses, and away we went to that ranch. And we got down there, and we took and skinned him just as fast as we could, and uh, got all flicked up and brought to the to the ranch we uh, to the dance we went and then early the next morning we come back and got our horses and went back and to our camp and took care of everything then and that was uh now the reason that that i know in my own mind that that line was a following these other two through there and maybe you could tell by some sign or something that that female was in season or was coming in season or something. And if he'd have caught up with those lines, it'd have more likely been a good battle between two big male lines. And as far as we could tell, there was very little difference in the size of those lines. Well, now this hunt took place on the Ladder Ranch in the Black Range in New Mexico. And our oldest brother Ernest and then Benson were up there and they was a hunting for bounty for that ranch. And there was a good bunch of lions in there and they were lion hunting. And also when bar got to doing any damage, they'd hunt bar. Well, this old bar got it, got in there and got the killing. And oh, that ranch wanted that bar killed. And uh, the owner of that ranch, who was Sam Lard, from and he had a big business in San Antonio, Texas, 
He said, Ernest, we're going to give an extra big bounty for that bear because says, I know that that bear's killed better than $30,000 worth of cattle for us in the last two or three years. And we want him out of here. And said, we can tell you if we find any kills here made by bear and we catch that bear, it's got to be that bear. Before I uh, hoop the bounty way high on it, because, said, uh, we can tell him. Because he said, uh, our, our uh, cow dogs made that bear, and we had one that had a lot of bulldog blood in him, and said he got a hold of that bear's ear, and by golly, before he's over with, he chewed that bear's ear off. So one of the cowboys come in one evening and said, well, that old killer bear's back in here. Says, I just found a grown cow killed by him today. And Sam Lord happened to be there, and he said, Ernest, we want that bear caught. And he and I've forgotten just how much is that he told him he'd give him, but he just says, I'll hoop the bounty up on that bear, but it's got to be the right bear. Well, Ernest said, listen now, Sam, his name was Sam Lard, says if we go over there and, get, and catch a bar off of that cow, you're going to pay us a bounty on it. He said, oh yeah, I know. I'm going to pay you a bounty. But he said, I'm going to hoop it up about twice to three times as much as I would if it's the right bar. If he's got his ear off, well, we'll know that that's the right bar. So they went over there and they put the dogs after him, right from that cow. And uh, after quite a bit of trailing and a pretty good jump race, they finally made it. Well, they couldn't make him stop and hold very long. He'd keep a fighting them and driving them and fighting and driving them. And Vincent got to the bar and killed him. Well, there were several of the cowboys there that day with them, so they finally got on got it on a horse and hauled it in, but they knew before they ever put it on the horse and when they got to it, they knew it was the right bear because that was right. He had an ear off. And old Lard said, boy, says, that's a relief to me because he says, I know that that, that, that bear has killed over $30,000 worth of stock and for this one ranch here alone, and maybe a lot more than that, but I know at least $30,000 worth. So that was a pretty good haul. And there were several of the main hounds in that pack that were blue tick hounds that was the bar dogs. One little blue tick female was the main one. Well, now, when we lived at Paradise there for quite a few years, we'd keep from one to two or three lines, and uh, and usually there for quite a few years, we'd only keep one bar. But we had we kept two different bars there for several years each one. Well, we got a hold of this bar, and and he was a bar out of Florida, and he was a for his size, he was fairly tall and long legged, and uh, had a little bit different looking head. Sour bear. Of course, there's all of the black bear species. And he was awful mean. 
to a, to, to our dogs and also to people. Now, one day we had run him and was trying to pull our dogs back and get our, our lead stick on him. And he charged Ernest when he had two dogs. I stepped up in front of him with a good oak club about three feet long with a good handle on it. And I hit him to keep him from catching Ernest and those dogs and it didn't stop him. And the next wallop, I knocked him right to the ground. He just crumpled. But he didn't stay down long. We jumped up. Well, now, here's the way we had to handle that bear. We got a good long rake handle. And then up that handle, we had a little grommet with a uh, open so we could run a little uh, a chain through it. And out at the end, well, we had a little kick hook. On the end of that chain, like there is on some dog chains. And then on that down, right on the end of the rake handle, we had a big snap. And we could open that snap with this chain that run up the, that run up the handle. And these vomits. And that's the way we'd catch him. And take him along then and he couldn't charge you. You could hold him off with that handle. So one time we'd been down the Bill Lee's Ranch, which is three or four miles below Paradise, and just uh, run out kind of into little flats there. And, but back on the hills, there's plenty of trees for a bar to tree in. Well, this bar wouldn't hardly tree from dogs. He just fought them right on the ground. So we'd been down, and we was using sideline motion. I'd bought a pack of dogs, and so we'd give them a training that day and run this bar. Well, then we, John Bill and I started down a big sand marsh back to the road where we had the crate built to put this bar in. And here he come along down there, and he even had on his shafts. And just me and him. And I said, John, you haven't got any business are trying to handle this, help handle this bar. Because you can't move fast enough, and um, this bar will hurt you. And he spit, chewed the backer, and he spit away out there, and he said, you just let me worry about that. I can take care of myself. I said, well, sometimes if he twists just right, this, this break will come off of him. And he could hurt you. He said, I'll take that chance. Well, he had a, he had a, a little iron rod that is about three or four feet long, about the size of your little finger. And on the end of it, it was just a big curve, just kind of like a branding iron, a running iron that they'd use to brand calves with out on the range. And I'll bet I hadn't told him that till there, a couple of hundred yards. Well, this bar did give a certain kind of a twist and that snap come loose. Well, this bar had to take time to climb up the bank to get out. And there we was, and the dogs was a long ways off. And the bar would have been loose right out on them flats. And it's a cinch we couldn't have caught him. 
So I was running along trying to get this rake of a snap opening into his collar and get him snapped. And he's going to get away. He's getting up the bank and I had to, well, wasn't able to catch him. And old John just run up and held that um, little rod by the end and just reached over his head and hooked him right in the nose and jerked him off backwards right into that sandbar. Well, when he did, boy, that bar jumped up and old John didn't, didn't get over about three steps and he saw the bar was going to catch him. So he just turned around and faced him. And then instead of smearing him with that uh, rod, and he still had it in his hand, he just reached out with his left uh, arm and grabbed that bar right by the ear. And that bar just socked his tushies right up in his arm. Well, then he lost his rod and, and reached out and grabbed that bar by the other ear with his other hand. And I was. I saw that bar had him with arm, and I run right up to him, and I said, push him loose from you, John, push him loose from you. And he gave the bar a push, and him and the bar fell right in the wad. And, and, that, and that broke, but that broke the hole on his arm, and it didn't break his arm. But the bar was trying to get a hold of him, and he was, bar was done on his back, and he opened his mouth, and I had on a big, big old pair of heavy brogan shoes. And when he opened his mouth, I just crammed my foot crossways right in his mouth and held that bar there just long enough for John to get up and get trying to get started. Well, of course, that bar just jerked right up then from me, and I was the closest one to him, so he took after me. And when he started, I was one step ahead of him. And when he stopped, I was still a step ahead of him. And he run me about 60 yards. And the bar just set up and then started back to climb up the bank. And I just wheeled back with my rake and caught him. And then I hollered, come on, John, let's get on down to that road, which wasn't over a couple of hundred yards then, and get him in that crate. And here John comes, and it is fairly warm weather, but I knew he was a hurting because the sweater just a pouring off of him. And uh, so I went to laughing. And I said, well, John, you've got a new name. John the Bear Rasper. And he spit away out there. I think the way he spit, he's been in these tobacco chewing spitting contests because he could really spit away out there. And he said, you deserve to kill me. And so we got him in the crate then and hauled him on back to where we, where we kept him. But, uh, he never was so keen about helping how that bar after that, which I don't blame him because I told him he didn't have any business of trying to help anybody handle that bar because he was dangerous and he'd hurt you. And he was a bar fighting, a dog fighting bar. One time, no boy come over and he did have some bar fighters. Getting ready to do some bar hunting, he come out of New Mexico with his name. And he bought over eight or ten dogs. And I wasn't there, I just heard about it. They took that bar down right close to my brother's place and run him again. And those dogs was fighting that bar, and that bar got a hold of one of his dogs by the head and just running up or sick. 
right in that dog's eye and just busted his eyeball right in his head. And you know, when that dog got away, he didn't run and he didn't uh, try to get away. He just kept fighting that bear with that eyeball. I mean, it's busted. So that shows the nerve that a bar dog going to have. Well, now this hunt took place not too long ago. Now, the best hound that I have was in on this race, and right now he's just in the prime of life. And he is, has the reputation of being either the top or one of the top hounds in all of that country down there. And so, uh, now, mind you, this was in the summertime. And it gets all over the elevation there on the river at the ranch is 5,200. But in, this was in August, somewhere in the first part of August. And a rancher down there come up to see me and he said, uh, well, my, uh, wet back, that was working for him, that was a real good hand and a good sign cutter, said that he found the kill of a mountain lion. A calf kill. And said, I want you to come down and be down there and ready to ride out of there when you can first see your hounds in the morning. And I said, all right. Well, there, uh, my brother and his wife were camped on the mountain. By road, it is about 50 miles. Right straight through, it is about 14. And they were right on top of the White Mountains, and I was still at the ranch. <clears throat> but there was a, a, a friend of, that had been a lion hunter, and his wife that was uh, staying there at the ranch, and they were doing the cooking for me. And also, they'd go, they'd go, they had some young dogs, and they'd go hunting with me near every time I rode out. So, of course they wanted to go. So, way before daylight the next morning, we loaded up our, our dogs and saddle animals and put them in a trucks and trailers and all down there to this ranch. Well, Herschel Downs had to, had to go out to one of those to Springerville, which was our second town, the closest and a whole lot the biggest, on business and he just couldn't go. So he sent this uh went back with us and we called off he was a right young fellow, but this uh Herschel Downs couldn't pronounce his Mexican name, so everybody called him Uncle. But Uncle's gonna go with us. And they told me right where that calf is, and I said, I know just exactly how long it'll take us. A riding, just as fast the gate as we can go up there. And Herschel said, well, how do you know? I said, I timed it the other day. He said, how long will it take you? I said, an hour and five minutes. So before we could see the dogs good, we left. And it, it was all ready then. Uh, Right there, yeah, is it starting to break day? There at that ranch, I went and looked at the thermometer, and it's already 78 right then. And I told Herschel, I said, boys, 
It's going to be hot up there on them ridges, but we're going. So we left there. Well, when we got up, I kept the dogs right with me. I wouldn't let them get out and hunt or nothing. I didn't want them to run a track until we got to that kill. And I had them back. So as we got to the upper end of this little park in this canyon, they call Fine Park. Well, I'm says the calf right there. Well, the, I never even let the dogs go over to the calf. We just rode over there and I looked at it and I said, no, that's not a lion kill. He said, well, I thought I saw the part of the lion track right down here yesterday. I said, well, if, he, if you did, it didn't have anything to do with this kill because this is not a lion kill. He said, what killed it? And I said to him in Spanish, I said, oh, so that's bar. Well, he, on the opposite side of this canyon then, the calf was kind of laying a little bit in the water in this stream. These hounds raised up their head and winded, and every one of them seemed to me like barked at once, and up that canyon they went. Well, I knew good and well they were winding a, either another kill or winding that bar. And it wasn't no use to holler at them because they was going to run anyway. Because they couldn't have heard you if you'd have hollered, all of them were barking. And they went right up into this little narrow canyon, and they rimmed out in under some high bluffs and turned back towards the high mountains. And they were really moving. So we had to go back down a ways and then rim out to get up on this high ridge that they were rimming. And it did, and this took us two hours time to do it. And oh, it was hot going up that right in that sun and on this ridge. And when we got up there and listened off into a basin there that come out of that main creek that we had just come out of, we could hear them trees. And I, I said to Paul Wallace, he was the fellow that me and his wife was staying with us, and his wife was there, and she was a horseback. Of course, I was riding a, I was riding a mule. And I said, Paul, you and Uncle get off and slip up to that tree and kill that bear. Because as hot as it is, if that bear comes out of that tree and makes a big run, these dogs will just melt down and they won't be able to catch him. And so away they went. He said, well, I want to. Sandy, that is his wife, he said, I want her to see a lion. I said, Paul, I told you that wasn't no lion. And now I'll bet you a hundred dollars to a thousand it's not a line. And she, she can stay here because she can't keep up with you guys. And you'll just be that much longer. She can stay here with me. And then after you guys kill the bar, we'll come on. And uh, it, you, it was out of bar season, but you could kill a stock killer or the, the owner of the, of the cattle could either kill it or he could authorize it to be killed. So they, they left. We just sat there. Well, when they was coming up to that tree, they had to walk out in an opening about 200 yards from that tree. And, uh, that bar looked down there and saw them walking towards that tree and he just bailed out. Well, as he come around that hillside, there were several dogs right with him. And I told her, I said, oh boy, this, this can be it. I said, they, well, they're going to scatter my dogs all over the country. And, uh, when they finally 
went around and in the second canyon they treed again. Then they got around there and they shot four or five shots. He wounded the bear, but he didn't hurt the dog. He hurt one, but he didn't hurt it bad. And he come out and they finally got him killed. And her and I was going off there as fast as we could with our saddle horses and uh, animals, saddle animals. And we met Hunk and, and Paul coming back. And I said, where's that bear? And they told me where it was. So I said, well, I'm going over around there and looking. I said, did you cut him open? No. I said, I'm going to cut him open. And I'll know whether he's full of cat meat or not. So when it wound up at the tree, there's only four dogs left. And this best dog I've got now was one of the four. And all right, I took and cut that bar open, and he was full of calf meat. And some of it, of that meat was kind of spoiled, kind of tainted. And it had an awful smell. But he was really full, and that's the reason probably that he didn't make any more of a run than he, when he come out of that tree on account of a full stomach. Because it was just gorgeous. So we came on back down then and was looking for some of her young dogs. And come into that little canyon that they had winded up. And when they left there, and there was another calf that had been killed and completely eaten up. So that bear had two calves killed there within uh, 300 yards of one another. But he hadn't come to the one that was in the creek that night. He went to the other one and finished him up. And I imagine he planned on coming back the other that night and finishing him up. They were, they were. Just calves, there wasn't no yearnings or anything. And then we went on back down to the to the ranch and loaded up and went back up. But now those dogs done a pretty good job of every tree in that bar with that with as hot as it was. And right there on that river, it got ninety five degrees that day. Well now this is a did a hunt that took place in the War Chuka Mountains. And the people that was with me was Bill DeGaulle from Beeville, Texas, and Kenneth Brown, who was the boss of the wild, of the game management there on the Fort Huachuca military reservation. So we went up in the mountains there and got up on this peak called Huachuca Peak and, uh, and struck a line track. Well, after about three hours and then some awful country, well, they treed this line. And we finally worked our way pretty close to them with our saddle animals. We had a horse and two mules. Bill Gall was riding a big sorrel horse that I'd gotten. Kenneth Brown and I was each on a mule. Well, when we came up to this line tree, and I, I just and it was pretty good and high. And I didn't talk loud. I just said, Ken Brown, that is the young lion that we tagged and turned loose about a year ago. And just when I, when that lion heard me and I didn't talk a bit loud, well, that lion was afraid of a human voice that it just dies out of that tree and off that mountain it went. And what I mean, it left there. 
And so Ken Brown took care of the dogs afoot, and I was bringing here a saddle animal and build a dog. Well, we jumped off of some little edges and all, and got away down there, and we were stymied. We couldn't go on down on account of the bluffs. And I said, Bill, it's going to be an awful goal if we make it, but we've got to make it. we got to go back out. And then I know the way around where we can get around all right. Well, we did get out, but we just did get out by the skin of their teeth, of our teeth because that old horse comes in here going over backwards or trying to get up one place. And I thought he was going over backwards, but he didn't. And if he had to, he'd have rolled 200 yards right off of there, and there wouldn't have been no saddle or horse left. But anyway, well, we got on then and made way around and got down there on a point, and we heard the dogs treed. And they were treed pretty well down towards the main canyon that run down to the old post there, quote, which you could call Post Canyon. So we got down pretty close, so we got off. And tied her, and tied her horses. Now, horse and two mules. And what, and then I was ahead of the gall and I slipped up to that tree and he got fooling around trying to get his camera or something, take some pictures and he never got there. Well, I looked and I looked and I couldn't see Ken Brown anywhere. And I didn't want to say anything because I knew what that what had happened to that line before when I spoke and I didn't spoke, speak loud. And I went all around there and I couldn't find Ken Brown. And boy, I thought, well, now he's fell up there in them bluffs and hurt himself or broke a leg or something. And if he has, I'm going to have to find it out quick and get to him. If he's not and so I hollered pretty loud. I said, Ken Brown, are you here? And he was way back up there, hid behind the rock watching that line. And when I said, Ken Brown, that line just bailed out of there. And here come Bill the Gaul with kind of his head down, climbing a little bit. And that line left that tree way up there, I'd say 30 feet maybe. And as it come down, it scared me because I thought it was going to hit on Bill the Gaul's head. And he come right down and brushed his, and he hit his legs just about his knees and went on down, hit right on his shoes and just the way it went. Boy, I told old Bill, I said, Bill, from that high up, if that line is a hit on your, hit on your head, it broke your neck, you slick as a whistle. And he said, yeah, that was common or a squeak, wasn't it? I said, yes, it was. I said, the next time you're going up the line of the tree, you better kind of watch. Well, the line had already put up an awful long race, jumped out of one tree, and it didn't go far till it went up another one. And then we all got to it together and never said a word. So Ken Brown was going to do the shooting with the tranquilizer gun. We had a tranquilizer gun there that, that belonged to the Army. So Ken got out his gun and he got the, 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 the drug was going to, Shoot into it and got all ready and shot these darts. Well, well, he shot three times and never touched the line. And we had one dart left. 
And we knew it was the line that we had darted before because it had a tag in this ear. It had did have some long stringers or ribbons in its ears, but it tore them out, but it had the tag in its ear. And the fourth shot, uh, dart, not the last dart he had, he hit it in the foot. Well, I'm on set up there for a while, so that, I don't, I never timed it, but it wasn't very long. So that drug started working on it. Well, we had all of our dogs tied, but one old spotted walker dog that I didn't figure if we caught the line that he, he would hurt it too bad. In case the line come out and could go, well, he couldn't go far. That dog had had it. And I told Ken Brown, I said, now, if that line does come out, while it's still in this groggy, you're an old lady, take after it. And so, now in a minute, it come out, and it wasn't from out. And the way it went, no Abe and Ken was right after it, it didn't go but about 100 yards, and it just fell over. Well, I started to run down there, and, old, and Bill Gall said, what am I going to do? I said, well, come on, don't turn those dogs loose. And now in a minute, the dog zipped by me, and then before I could stop him, he had three dogs turned loose. And boy, I spoiled at him. You could have heard me for a half a mile and said, what do you think you're doing? Don't turn them loose. And he come on and said, I thought you said turn them loose. I said, well, you don't understand very good. I said, they'll kill that line. And I hollered to Brown, get a stick and knock them off. So I run back and got the little ropes we had these dogs tied with and run down there. We pulled the dogs back then, and then we measured the line again and took all the dope that they wanted on it, and uh, then give it a shot of stuff that's supposed to kind of counteract the other dope that it's shot with. They're using a drug called Cernalin. Now, I don't think that you're hardly allowed to use that now because that they use it for dope, and I forgot what to call it. Angel does, yeah. So we give it the shot to bring it out of it, and then we took her dogs and went on and left it laying there. And I know that that line left there because I went back the next morning to look and see if it had come out of, from under the influence of that drug, and it left, and it had. And far as I know, that is, Okay, that is better better than ten years ago. And that line had never been has never been caught. But it can still be alive because it wouldn't be maybe twelve, thirteen years old. I believe that's been about well, let's see. That'd be ten, that'd be fourteen years ago. But lines live they do they will live up to twenty five. So that line may still be alive in some of those mountains. And that was the that was the hunt that I called Bill de Gaulle in the Wartuka Mountains. Well, this um this hunt took place in the Wartuka Mountains of Arizona. Uh, and it took place about I imagine as I best as I can remember, about seventy two or three. 
Larry up a bone that was uh, working there game management. That's when I was working there at Fort Huachuca for the government or the Army Civil Service. <clears throat> well, we went up one Saturday into the Huachucas to give some of our dogs a little training and to keep them into shape. And we hit this line track on the east side of the Huachuca Mountains. And it was coming down a good big canyon there. And I really, that canyon had a name, but I've really forgotten the name of that canyon. But anyway, well, we had four hounds that was really working that track. I had three and he had, uh, he had one. Then I had a half Iredale. And half blue tick hound that was just a big old pup, about seven months old, and he is just staying along with me. So I pretty well know about how long ago it was because that dog now is was eleven years old this spring, and uh, he has got a great reputation in that country as a line dog and pretty fair bar dog because he's been in on the kitchens, and I've kept track of just how much he's caught for lion and bear. He's never been hunted on Jaguar. He's helped catch 76 lions to date and 54 bear. And I, I, I never kept track of the bobcats, but he's helped catch quite a big number of bobcats. And uh, he's, a, he's a good game getter. But anyway, well, he's Dogs are trailing down this canyon, and Rowdy was way up. He was from out of here and ahead of the other dogs. And they were just going in a good steady pace down this canyon, and Larry Ethelball was off in there with them afoot, and I was a rim in the hillside, then about 50, 75 yards out of the canyon. And uh, after a bit, while well, I heard uh, some rock rolling and on the opposite hillside, here come a band of eight javelina hogs. And they were just kind of forming a V-shape with the biggest and in the bunch in front. And I hollered to Larry, I said, look out, here comes a bunch of javelina hogs. Well, they hit the canyon just below where Larry and these hounds were, and they turned right up and took after those dogs. Well, those dogs just saw those hogs and they just wheeled and back up that creek they went and they was really running. And Ethelball was right with the dogs. Now, Ethelball is an Indian name and this this boy was a former Apache Indian born on the Fort Apache Indian Reservation up there. And he run right along with them and then he turned out turned in, up in some rocks there. Well, Two of those dogs were mine and one is his. Well, mine just kept running right on up the canyon. But his turned back up to him and the hogs took after his dog. Now they, they can hurt you because they, they, they got vicious teeth and, uh, and if they, they, they will grab a man. And uh, the old Larry just grabbed up a good big rock 
And the biggest one in the bunch, the leader, he just bounced that rock. And I was sitting there watching it. It bounced it right off of that hog's head. Well, that old hog was tough because it didn't knock it down. But now it probably kind of added it a little bit. But anyway, well, that turned them back. And they come into the bottom of the canyon and this this old half-hour Dale called him Rip was standing there with me. And he saw those hogs, so he went down to uh, more or less, I think, play with them. But he did have sense enough when they took after him, he turned and run back to my horse. Well, I didn't want him coming up to my horse because I didn't want them hogs around there because they might have uh, they might have slashed some of those horses' legs. And boy, I was jumping up and down and up uh, in my saddle and the hollering and the hooping and the yelling. And I had a double rope and I was beating on my shop legs. And they come come up with, I imagine, within 30 feet of me. Then they just stopped. And they turned around then and went right back down to the bottom of the canyon and out on the other hillside. And they disappeared up in there the same way as it come down. Now, probably those, some of those hogs are will even come to your dogs when they hear them. And so we went on down with that, that line track and went come out on the flats and come out right to a big lake down there that they was there on the post. And then Sierra Vista, this town, was right there within a, oh, a half a mile or maybe not that far to right to the main street of that town. And this line had come down to the lake, and then it, it then it turned back. And but that time it was it was a hard track, and we finally lost it right around that lake. And whenever didn't get it started out well, we didn't didn't make any difference. We were just uh, working our dogs and exercising them and all anyway. But now that shows you that how vicious that those abelinos are. Well, now that's a Spanish name. And the American name for them is Pickery. And uh, now they're, they're a big game animal out there. And people come from all over the United States to hunting them. They even, they even come out and get them a guide and go Havelina hunting in the, in the spring of the year is when they have the season out there. They, they even come from New York and have some of those guides out there to take them a javelina hunting. So they're, but they're not, not a big animal. It takes the big one to weigh over 40 pounds. I've weighed quite a few of those big ones dressed and from 40 to 45 pounds, they, they do get up to 55 pounds. And that's the biggest one that I've ever seen. And uh, that's one of our big game animals out in Arizona, New Mexico.